Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 30th of June. Welcome if you're watching live this edition of Morning Espresso. If you are watching live and you'd like to watch us in a different language, you can do that by selecting the button below. And there we have different versions that are available. You can also send us your questions via the Q&A button or send us emails to nordeafunds at nordea.com. Today, I have two special guests, uh, guests that you've seen already uh, before, and I'm happy to have them back. I have Laurent Gorjaman, Global Head of Product Management at Nordea Asset Management. And as always, we have Sebastian Galli, our Senior Macro Strategist at Nordea Asset Management. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Gano. Good morning. So guys, before we, we start maybe the, the, the questions here of this session, I'd like to take a, a step back first and look and remind our viewers what you guys covered in March. Uh, particularly, I wanted to, to highlight, and you'll remember this slide that we had here uh, last time, we have uh, inflation yields reach uh, a plateau after a transition of rise in inflation. We were talking about reflationary uh, sustainable environment, focusing on credit risk uh, with less duration more stable and, and, and value-oriented uh, solutions. We had ESG trend and government spending on the agenda, emerging markets, Asia-led rebound we were discussing. And finally, should the economy overshoot, uh, we were recommending our clients to, to look at more flexible solution. So my, my first question is uh, to, to you, Sebastian, and, and, and it's particularly is, has, has anything changed since last time? Well, what we've seen is the economy reopening very steadily, a powerful force and a global rebound. And as that rebound has been developing, uh, demand is there, inflation is surging. It's uh, surging to some extent ahead of it. And it's generally quite a good story from a, an equity point of view, a more cautious story from a fixed income point of view. And maybe Laurent, would you want to add your take as well, maybe? Uh, yes, indeed. So we, as, as you stated, we have indeed entered a, a transitory period since March after the rapid rise in yields. Maybe we can show the slides here. Um, that started during the winter by anticipation of uh, reopening of the economy. And you see bottom to peak uh, in, for the blue line, which represents the uh, US uh, treasuries, the 10 year. Uh, on the left axis, so you see we were coming from 0.6 to 0.8%, whereas in Europe, in the orange line, we went from minus 0.65% to uh, still negative territory at minus 0.1%. But really, the next question is, would that inflation pressures materialize more and push yields again up, or are they transitory? So maybe Sebastian, um, yeah, Sebastian can can help us in this. Sure. So if we focus on the on the next slide, what we have a, is an idea of the different mechanisms uh, which are playing. As you can see on the left hand side, there are quite a, quite a lot. And if you can see on the right hand side, you have two uses. Uh, on one side, it shows that service price inflation uh, is relatively low, but good price inflation because of commodity pressures, because of a, a lot of problem in the supply chains, 
is quite elevated. And of course, services is what we consume more in advanced economies. What we can say is that wage pressures are a persistent force and that will continue going forward. Why? Because there's a lot of pent up demand because the market is uh, labor market is improving in many economies, particularly so in the United States. We have ESG pressures, the cost of internalizing costs uh, to society are increasing. That makes commodities also more expensive. That feeds also into higher inflation. And on the other side, battling that is productivity. Different companies are starting to become more agile, and this force is going to increase in uh, in the coming months and quarters. And and Sebastian, so we've heard from central banks that much of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing is is temporary. Uh, Would you say that's true? That is only partially true in the in the sense that uh, many of these factors are linked to overshoots of inflation, both from expectations of higher wages, expectations of uh, setting prices higher. If you have a Colgate and you're uh, looking at to- your t- toothpaste and you're pricing it ahead of inflation, you're probably doing it a bit too much. And th- a lot of these pressures are going to fade away, but the other ones that we mentioned are going to continue. Good. And so looking maybe at, at, uh, at our next slide, you know, we know that the uh, central bank or the U.S. Fed uh, has uh, estimated two, two, two rate hikes. Where, where do you think they're going? Well, if we focus on the slide and we have what we call the dot plots, and as you were pointing out in the, in the circle, it shows these uh, two rate hikes, which are expected in, by forecast in 2023, which is quite a surprise because the market was only expecting one. And before that, there was uh, none. But what is a surprise is basically in the, what we call the front end of the curve. So next year, there are increasing numbers of Fed members who are willing to bet on a rate hike next year. So a great change in expectations from the Fed, which is moving to risk management. Inflation, they fear, is overshooting, is becoming slightly unanchored, and they're starting to re-anchor that process, but they're going to do it very gently. Great. And maybe I'd like to now turn our attention to to, uh, Laurent now. Uh, Laurent, given that the the yields rise, uh, would you still consider low-duration strategies as part of your uh, portfolio? Yeah, we would, we would indeed favor lower duration strategy with some, some credit risk. And to highlight this, what else than a good espresso, oh, pardon me, than a good graph. Um, and here, that's a graph we showed in, back in March as well. And two important takeaways from, from this one. Low duration indices have done better, uh, but more importantly, safe asset class, such as cover bonds, have proved to be more immune to duration risk. And you can first compare cover bonds in green relative to government index in light blue, much more sensitive to yields movement. And the same applies for lower duration cover bonds in dark blue relative to Govis counterparts, the, the pinky line. So cover bonds have the advantage of being very safe, so backed by a covered pool of assets and yielding higher than government bonds. And cherry on the cake, the ad, um, our cover bond opportunities solution, where the duration is edged and credit risk is amplified, has done extremely well and perfectly fits the current environment. Great. And as obviously our viewers know, we've also had uh, Henrik Steele as a guest of our, our, our Morning Espresso several times, and he is our uh, portfolio manager for these uh, varied covered bond strategies, our low duration and opportunities uh, covered bond strategy. So we also invite our viewers to, to have a, a look uh, at that. Uh, Laurent, maybe looking at the uh, next slide. 
get this one up. Here, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the fixed income themes to consider in, in, in the financial debt space? Yeah, um, an, another asset class with interesting features of lower interest rate sensitivity is financial debt. So that those are bonds issued by European financial institution with different, different uh, risk embedded in it. They have a, usually a lower duration, three to three and a half year. Uh, and those uh, financial institutions, thanks to the rising years, have better margins and are better capitalized than in the past. So excuse me if the chart is a bit busy, but, but this shows that this asset class is more immune to rate changes, as you can see from the five different periods in the light blue, uh, where the uh, government bond five years has increased. So for, for instance, the first period where we were uh, at 0.5%, moving to 1%. So during this phase, the, uh, this, this asset class financial debt has increased by 4.3%. And the same can apply in a different, what well, the, the four other periods, except the one in 2015, where we had some, some issues around the Greek uh, banks uh, at that time. But usually, so those, those periods, uh, as highlighted in the, the light uh, blue area, are um, very supportive for this asset class. Yeah, and as always, uh, fixed income and particularly financial debt is also another uh, specialty here at Nordea. So again, uh, another one uh, that, you know, solution that our, our clients uh, and, and viewers can definitely go uh, check out. Uh, Laurent, looking um, at the strategies that are probably fit for the, that environment, but what if this scenario wouldn't materialize? What, what, do, what do we have as an option there? Um, of course, then, then you would need to, to look for more dynamic approach and solution that can move quickly from high to low duration and also moving, moving their credit exposure. So a good example is the next, the next slide. So the flexible income solution is, is a good alternative to, to other semi-active portfolio management. Uh, this solution tries to identify as a class that will perform well in up or down market in the long run while mixing them to deliver an optimal portfolio. So there is a tactical over, overlay then added uh, to mitigate risk. And the, the current positioning is rather cautious in this strategy and requires unconventional source of income and diversification. Yeah, and again, this is uh, the solution. So the flexible fixed income solutions here at Nordea, they're managed by our our world-class uh, multi-assets team. So uh, for those of you also familiar with, with that team, uh, that they also offer this uh, fantastic uh, flexible fixed income uh, strategy that again, uh, could be very good and appropriate should the other scenario not materialize. And as always, like we said in March, diversify, diversity, it's always always good for, for any portfolio. And Sebastian, how, I would like to turn my attention a little bit back to you. So. Uh, as we know, the Fed is pumping a lot of liquidity into the economy, uh, but the government's also adding. Can you summarize the, the programs a little bit? Sure. So if we focus on the size, what we have is already a disbursement of uh, 1.9 trillion. Uh, what we have now is a, a set of negotiations on four trillion packages. One is so-called Build Back uh, Better America, which is a physical infrastructure. And the other one is what you could call human infrastructure for 1.8 trillion. What we know is this is going through Congress. On the physical side, an agreement seems to be on $1 trillion. 
uh, that will go uh, through a normal process uh, with uh, the Republicans. Hopefully that should work out. And then the question is the human infrastructure package most likely will have shrunk also quite significantly from where is it, it is. Is it going to go through conciliation process? The answer is we don't really know. It's a quite an unknown. But what is welcomed by the market is that the set of these packages are spread through time. They're less than was expected significantly so, and hence it's less inflationary for the economy, which is good because it means that the Fed doesn't have to uh, hike or taper so fast. The next and last leg is the green leg, which is very important, uh, which is supposed to be a two trillion package for carbon neutrality by 2050. We shall see when that happens. This is probably going to be next year. And it's gonna be a lot less than that. Thanks, Sebastian. And maybe I'll, I'll turn now my attention to, to, to Laurent. Building on also what Sebastian said, so we have this Biden infrastructure plan that's going through reconciliation that might come out. We know in Europe, we've also tied a lot of the money there as well to, to infrastructure green projects. Japan has done the same. China's done the same. A lot of infrastructure on there. What are your thoughts on that, Laurent? Yeah, and a lot of money, <laughs> indeed, Carlo. And we have been advocating for why for listed infrastructure. So with the plan just explained by Sebastian, uh, and not only in the US, as you mentioned, uh, there, there are other plans on the left-hand side. This is a summary. Um, and, and we are not only talking about aging infrastructure projects, which are needed in many countries, but infrastructure is, is sensitive to other growth uh, drivers, such as data growth and digital transformation, uh, such for such a... Uh, transmission and storage of data. We have also the decarbonization and transition to clean energy. Um, and another important feature of infrastructure or those company is that they can pass through inflation costs to consumer due to monopolistic nature of assets that ensure a pricing power. And on top of ESG integration, our solution offers access to companies benefiting from a multi-years plans with still attractive valuations. Thanks, thanks, Laurent. And again, you know, infrastructure being very much on everyone's mind these days. And again, if you want exposure to that uh, particular theme, uh, we also have that, that solution here uh, at Nordea. But uh, Sebastian, my, my cup of my morning espresso is getting more expensive versus a year ago. So it must mean one thing. That's my main indicator of, in, of inflation. So uh, demand is leading to inflation. But what does it mean for earnings, Sebastian? Well, as uh, it, it does actually, you have uh, you have indices of inflation which are uh, an espresso based. Uh, but but what, what you can say is what uh, Asbjorn, uh, our head of multi asset strategy, has said is that inflation good inflation is good for earnings. Why? Because demand rises and demand rises faster than wage, uh, wage inflation uh, does. And the second element of it is that in some cases, companies have ability to mark up and that's even better. And some co companies don't have much choice. So the, the costs are increasing on the wages side and they're passed on to the consumer. And as long as it happens in an environment where wages in real terms are rising, then it's fine. And of course, in the shorter term, real wages are dampened. But if you go two, three, six months down the road, real wages will be increasing, productivity will be helping, and it's a great story from an earnings point of view. So we may have seen the peak in earnings, but we still have very good momentum. So I'll be expecting that raise in, in my paycheck so I can afford that more expensive uh, espresso uh, later going. 
Uh, Laurent, turning back to you. So uh, what should be uh, potentially we should be considering when it comes to, to equity uh, exposure moving forward, given this scenario? Yeah. In, in your introduction, Carlo, you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, stability, value-oriented companies or uh, quality. Well, we, we're still in that trend. So if um, going forward, we are entering a period of dislocation, those Companies that shows you know quality will tend to do to do better, um, and investors are probably more sensitive to valuation, but also to stability and predictability of earnings and cash flow. The solution with with quality oriented companies are, are, are doing uh, better for the time being, and we still have a huge valuation gap that has only started to unlock on the left-hand side, you see the forward price earning of 14 for the stable equity solution versus a forward price earning of 20 for global index, so global equities. And another way to look at it is the difference in earnings yield uh, on the, on the right-hand side, which is around 2%. So very attractive and uh, still well positioned for the future environment. And also as a reminder to, to our uh, long investors, you'll, you'll be familiar to those stable equities because they form the big portion of our, our stable return strategy. So uh, that quality in those equities, uh, especially in, in different market environments tend, tend to perform well, but also they're very attractively priced with, with when we compare, as you just showed us to the PE of the, of the equity uh, MSCI uh, today. Uh, Laurent, maybe just to, to shift to my last question for you, what other theme could benefit from, from inflation in, in your opinion? Well, usual suspect, I would say, real estate uh, indeed benefit from, from inflation as both rents and the value of the properties will rise with it. Uh, it's also an attractive income asset as trusts usually distribute most of their lease-based revenues as dividends. As highlighted on the, the graph on the right hand side, uh, where we, we compare the high yield, the high dividend yields uh, of real estate in dark blue relative to other asset classes, such as uh, global equities or global bond. And also, you have uh, another important feature of uh, real estate is that there are the cash flow are stable and predictable. So, real estate has, has real benefits of diversification. So as you stated earlier, uh, in balance portfolio. Great. Thank you, uh, Laurent. So now I'd like to do, uh, as we always are, key takeaways uh, for today's uh, session. So we'll just get that for you in a second. Okay. So key takeaways for today. Uh, spike is uh, an inflation is partly transitory, really important. So implications, we expect uh, quality and cyclical value to outperform. Next year could be more complicated for portfolio allocation. Implications, we prefer adding flexible solutions at the expense uh, of fixed income. So with that, I would just like to again, thank uh, again, Laurent and Sebastian. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank thank you pleasure, and so next week, the 7th of July will be our last episode for this season. 
Uh, before we go to the summer break, though, we have a very special uh, morning espresso uh, for next week. We will be joined by uh, portfolio manager Thomas Sorensen, who will discuss his new uh, global climate and social impact strategy. So that's a really, really interesting one, which we think uh, you will be uh, very, very, very intrigued to see what, what Thomas's thoughts are, are with that. So with that, uh, as always, I would like to remind you that you can watch Morning Espresso on our Stay Alert website on nordea.lu or wherever uh, you get your Nordea content, as well as we have podcasts uh, on Apple or Spotify. And with that, just want to wish you a very happy uh, summer break and uh, see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>